And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, what is going on, y'all? Welcome in. It is time for another Hold That Podcast podcast. I am your host, T-Bob Bear, joined by my co-host, Brody Miller. Brody, what's up, man? Not too much, man. How you doing, T-Bob? I'm doing well. So, Brody, if you listen to the show, you probably know this, but Brody writes for The Athletic. And um, we actually have a great deal for you today. If you are not an Athletic subscriber yet... Uh, this week, today is Cyber Monday when we're recording through Friday of this week. If you go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast, you can get a dollar a month sign up deal for a year. Now you can cancel any time, but think about that. 12 bucks for a year's worth of the athletic. Trust me when I say it is the best sports writing site out there. Uh, it's incredible. Brody does great work on LSU. Um, and I love the site for everything. I read all my, like, I read Saints, I read LSU, I read Pelicans, I read General, NCAA, NFL, like, whatever you want. They have the most talented writers doing it. So, again, uh, theathletic.com slash hold that podcast, Cyber Monday deal of the week until this Friday, $12 for an entire year, dollar a month. It's so worth it. Trust me, I'll do it. Um, all right, let's get into it, though, Brody, because uh, on this Cyber Monday, um, we are fresh off the heels of a 20-7 to loss uh, by, te- by LSU to the Texas A&M Aggies. Uh, but right before we get there, there was some big news that broke on Sunday. As uh, two weeks after delivering a speech to the team and kind of rallying the troops, Terrace Marshall um, has decided to opt out for the rest of this football season. When, yeah, give us, you're the journalist. Give us a kind of timeline of, of how this all went down. Yeah, I mean, I know you talked about it on your show this week, too. You know, Jordy, obviously, your co-host was the first to report the news. I mean, it's something that has been in the works for, I mean, let's put it this way. We at least knew it was something that was very much discussed last week or even early last week. We knew this was probably going to happen. And, you know, it's look, the thing is, we all knew Terrace Marshall was the number one name to watch, right? I think everyone was saying, like, all right, is Terrace Marshall going to opt out? And I think to be my personal read on everything I've gathered and just like somebody who's covered Terrace Marshall for three years, I think he's just somebody who didn't obviously made sense to opt out, but didn't really want to. And, you know, I, I think he's somebody who I, re- I wrote a story a few weeks ago about it, but just he's a different like he is a guy who actually cares, actually puts in absurd amounts of time. Guy who like picks up trash and like la- other people's laundry around the facility. He's a guy who like, you know, just actually cares. And I think that's why he probably even lasted as long as he did. And I think it just got to a point where hey, you proved, you know, you put on film several times this year just how good you are, and I think now it's pretty clear. And then each year that goes on with, you know, Finley and Johnson at quarterback and just no sustainable passing game and just – 
I mean, it's it's another week that it kind of he. I mean, granted, he had a good game Saturday, so correct me, but like still another week that you know his film just doesn't look that impressive because he's not doesn't really have a normal quarterback throwing to him. And I and I and people are love bringing up that speech and like throwing that in his face, and it's a weird look. I'm not going to argue that like that he gave a speech basically saying, "Hey guys, I didn't opt out. We should be working harder. I wish you guys." basically like put the effort in that I did. And I think he meant it when he said it. Ed Ogeron said the same thing today. I think he meant it when he said it. But I also think it's pro- that, that speech was probably in hindsight more about, I don't really want to opt out, but like you guys have to give me a reason not to. You know, I think that's really my mm-hmm. personal read on it. And I and it just, I don't think it got much better. And I think it's just clear that as much as he might want to play, it was in his best interest to sit out at this point. And, and this was happened to be the week we saw a ton of guys opt out because I just don't think things are getting better. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I I think that there's a conversation going around about, you know, did he quit? Did he opt out? And ultimately uh, that's a semantic argument. Uh, Like either way that you feel, you have to acknowledge that the logic is the logic and it is impossible to fault Terrace Marshall's logic in, in this decision. Um, In these final three games, he doesn't really stand to make any significant positive impact on his draft status. Uh, I think he could only <clears throat> hurt himself by getting hurt. Like now, if he went out yeah. there and didn't play poorly, I also don't think that's dinging him significantly because of the quarterback context and everything. I think coaches understand that. And, you know, he was still finding numbers even with uh, the freshman QB. So that's impressive to him. It's just that I don't think that he could have increased his stock that much, not nearly as much as where he potentially can at the combine, which we'll get into. Um, so, so first off, just acknowledge that, right? These final three games held significantly more risk than they did reward for Terrace Marshall. And then let's talk about the timeline. Um, I'm not dumb, right? This would have been the final in a regular originally scheduled year. This was the final week of the season, correct? Um, yes, correct. Yes. Now, look, I think there's a good chance that in a regular season, depending on the bowl game, that maybe Terrace Marshall doesn't play in that bowl game, but just think about it from a timing standpoint. So this would have been the original end of the season. And then you would have been going to get ready for the NFL. The combine is what? Like end of February, beginning of yes. March. It's Um, middle of February, yeah. So the combine is an interesting thing, right? Because although it is evaluating football players, what you do there has little to do with football. Uh, I mean, mentally it is, and on the board work, all that. But I mean, like the physical drills that you have to train for is not football training. It's its own unique training regimen. You have to learn the perfect amount of steps to take on your 5-10-5 to maximize your time. The perfect technique on how to cut the perfect step count again on your L drills. You have to have your 40. You know, I mean, look, when are you going to run a 40 on the football field, right? It's such a technique thing. You have to basically become a track guy in a couple of months. This, This all takes a lot of training. So if already these final three games hold way more risk than reward for Marshall and he stands to gain more at the combine and you only have a little over three months, a little under three months till the combine, why would you expose yourself to that risk and take off a month of your training? It just doesn't make sense, especially when you stand to make millions. And as he said, his motivation his entire life has been able to being able to help his parents retire and not have to work anymore for what they did for him. Like how anybody can sit here and fault him for that. I just, 
I don't, I just don't really get it. So, um, it sucks. Yeah, I mean, make no mistake. It sucks from a football perspective for LSU, but it is completely understandable. Yeah. I mean, first off, really good point about the combine and whatnot and training. That is a really big part of it. And you're absolutely right. But yeah, I just think the quitting on the team thing is lazy. It's reactionary. It's selfish. And you can say all those things, but also like at the end of the day, it just boils down to Terrace Marshall was literally the one, you know, NFL clear early star on the, on that roster who stayed and played for you even with a terrible team or a not good team I should say and you know and completely balled out and looked like he did and basically gave you I mean even if we're just looking for like a fan perspective gave you something to care about watching for these last seven games you know I just think it's it's silly to criticize him for it and I don't think there's much else to even really say and people I think it's just either you see that or you don't and I, I don't a lot of people obviously don't they think it's like he owes something to LSU I have people in my mentions being like well you know, he should pay a scholarship back if he wants to leave early. And I'm like, well, you should give back your national championship. Like, I don't yeah, know what you I want. Don't know. Like, like, uh, he'll make the school a lot of money. Uh, yeah, so just be quiet. Yeah, so, okay, we're in agreement there. Um, but, yeah, so no more Terrace Marshall for us. What would you do if I zigged and was like, you know, he was a quitter? What would you? How would you handle it on the show? Look, you know what? I'm so over. I need to become a heel. I do like, I love debate, but... Sometimes if I'm at such a fundamental difference with somebody, I don't even see worth putting in the energy to change their mind. So like, if you're listening to this and you think he's a quitter, that's all well and good, dude. Think what you want. I don't care. (laughs) I mean, I don't care really. Um, I do care about Saturday's game though, where in an ironic twist, the defense didn't just play good. But played elite. Like the the defense had a legitimately great game, but alas, because it's 2020 and it's LSU, it was paired with uh, maybe like the second worst or maybe first worst offensive performance of the entire year. And you fall to the Texas A&M Aggies 20 to seven. Um, Brody, what were your initial reactions uh, to to the game and, and when you rewatched it? I think the initial reaction just has to be about it was an all-time poor offensive performance. I mean, the worst I've seen in my three years covering this team. You know, I mean, it was it was an epically bad offensive line, which I know we're going to dive into. Got embarrassed at a level that was, you know, 2018 Florida-esque, you'd say, probably, you know, in, in that sense. And then, obviously, they have two freshman quarterbacks. That was always going to be a little bit of what this game was. But still, like, they just weren't able to make anything do with that. It was – Play calling was pretty problematic, but I think some of the complaints are a little you know, misguided. But still, you start with the offense. It has to start with the offense. And then, yeah, after you let it marinate for a little bit, yes, the defense played a great game. And, and you know, there's part of me that's like, well, you know, it was a really rainy, rainy day and all that. And, like, it was really ugly conditions, you know, like – Maybe AM just wasn't playing very well, but if you're going to play that card, then you also have to give the offense the benefit of the doubt for the rain. So it does go both ways there. But I think my overall, like when I left, you know, Saturday, like when I went to bed Saturday night, my main takeaway was just, it's just proof of how the season just keeps finding ways to get worse. And what I mean by that is like this whole season was kind of defined by historically bad defense, but offense, you know, it's pretty impressive. You know, there's a lot to, and now like, now the offense is also one of the worst units in the country or like at least the last few weeks. And it's just like, Oh, like is every, and now the defense, I granted, I know the defense is getting better, but we're at a point now where it's like, is everything kind of a mess right now? And, and that's just kind of how I walk away. It's just like, I don't really see what this team can, can cling to. Cause I have a gut as good as I think this defense played. And I know we're going to dive into it in a second. 
I still think Alabama and Florida are going to put up 50 points on. Yeah, uh, I don't think you're wrong there. I think that Alabama and Florida will dominate this LSU defense, but I, I do also believe in giving credit where credit's due, right? And you have seen yeah. defensive improvement. It's the only way that you could, you, like, you just have to look at things objectively. Do, like, do I think that Bo Pelini is the answer for the defense long-term? No. And so does it worry me in some weird, twisted way when you see this improvement? Yes, but... I do because we've, we've <laughs> criticized these kids so much this year. I have to give them credit for <clears throat> putting together a night where they allow 13 points, zero in the second half. They're going against the nation's leader in third down percentage, and they hold them to an average third and uh, third and go. I think there was it was is plus 10 yards. It was more than 10 yards. A uh, and M's average third down distance was they go two of 13 on third down. Under 250 total yards, which is dominant nowadays. Like it was kind of a wildly good performance by this defense, and so uh, a tip of the cap to them. It's a very good A&M offense. Now it's not nearly. I don't think on the level of the next couple that they are going to face. Yeah. But I would have never imagined. Like like coming out of this game, Brody. What happened offensively? I expected. Yeah. I found nothing surprising there. The surprising part was how good this defense played. And I think the improvement starts with Micah Baskerville. Dude, you have got to give this kid credit for how he's played. And he's playing better and better each week as he's getting more time, more secure in his job. If you are going to run this 4-3, the middle linebacker is the heart and soul. They mean everything. And 12 tackles the other night. But but the best part, the opposite of what we were talking about from linebacker play earlier. Instead of being reactive, he's being proactive. He's dictating. He's meeting guys at the line. He's maintaining gap integrity. And you're seeing the ripple effect. How much better does Jabril Cox look lately? How yeah. much better uh, do the, are, are the safeties and the nickelbacks run fits lately? It's just he, he is having a really positive impact on this defense. And a part of me is like, how did Damone Clark ever come out of camp with this job anyway? But whatever. Sometimes <laughs> human beings are very slow to adjust what they think is right. And so I just think that Micah Baskerville deserves a ton of the credit when you're trying to say, how is this defense starting to improve? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, and, and back to like you know, you mentioned the Clark thing and how you even make that decision. I mean, I think it's it almost how I believe they made that decision is almost the story of why Micah Baskerville is better on a football field and that Damone Clark probably looks incredible on a practice field. He is a physical freak who just looks like a 250-pound gazelle running around the field when you know, like when he's confident, at least, you know, and we've seen film of it. But so he's probably looks amazing in practice when he kind of knows what he's doing. Like he's probably not getting confused that much. It's pretty clear. It's when it's a, a game and there's actual t- things going on and movement and people really outsmarting you. And, and then all of a sudden you see the difference between a linebacker who knows what he's doing, which we got a little spoiled with watching Apache Queen and Devin White and all these guys last few years. And then you really saw this year how how valuable valuable it is and how important it is when it's gone that just having guys who just flat out know what they're doing can inform everyone else what to do 
I, I, th- I mean, Damone Clark, it's one of those things where, I mean, don't get me wrong. I rode the hype train. I wrote a big feature on him. I thought he was going to be like the next big star. But yeah, of course, you kind of learn as you go. And I think looking back, it's like, well, he is a guy who almost transferred freshman year because he didn't understand Dave's system. He was really struggling with it. So it does kind of add up where we're at. And so what Michael Baskerville does to get to your point is, yeah, he just knows what he's doing. I mean, I remember talking to some LSU staffers, you know, in this offseason, they're like, and one guy even told me, he said, you know, he's like, Micah Basketball is turning a corner. He is, he, he did seem to uh, switch, did seem to flip, you know, right around the round bowl season and whatnot. But he's just like, he just doesn't have the upside. And it's someone who's not on staff anymore. So he's able to be honest about it. But he's like, he doesn't have the upside. And it's probably not going to, you know, sell anyone as much. But when you are on a football field you, in, the, in a game, like you just can tell, like you need guys who just are in the right gaps because the story of this LSU season I personally don't think it's really about like LSU not being good enough in like a blanket talent point of view. It's about just like just ridiculous errors, silliness, just seeming like they don't know what they're doing. And we're seeing that in a lot of areas just completely changed these last three weeks. And I still don't think it's a great defense. Still think there's a lot of problems and all that. Sure. But having Baskerville just kind of lock down those gaps, be where he's supposed to be has filtered throughout. But I, and I, you know, I think you're right to start with basketball. I have no issue with that. I think we have another. I'm gonna have a feature on him at some point later this week. But my biggest takeaway, actually, when I leave this game, was how impressed I was with the secondary. Because I yeah, was, coverage was because uh, the secondary has been like the real consistent week to week. Like, what is going on? Problem to me at times. And and they border like played a borderline perfect football game. I I really can't think of a single like coverage bust or anyone getting really open. I mean, it was, it was pretty impressive. And also Eli Ricks didn't even really play in this game. He was banged up, not hundred percent. So didn't even see the field for the second quarter and didn't really play at all. Cause now you have Jay Ward and Cordell Flott. Cordell Flott looks fantastic Saturday. And he's the guy we've been criticizing as much as anyone, you know? So I don't even know how you can change that quickly. I, I actually don't, doesn't really make sense to me because that group also didn't look good a week ago, <laughs> but Credit to them because they figured something out. And Ogeron said something today along the lines of, he said he thinks Bo Pelini just kind of like learned what guys can and can't do, which, hey, I mean, that sounds overly simplistic, but I also kind of buy that a little bit. But, yeah, I, I start with the secondary, but Micah Basketball is also a huge, huge part of it. Well, I mean, maybe you learn what they can or can't do, or you realize, oh, I have to be willing to adapt to what my guys can or can't do. Uh, there definitely seemed to be a bit of stubbornness early on that you're 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 seeing kind of maybe slowly change um yeah the secondary was great I, I do wonder though man and i know eli Ricks didn't play in this game but Derek stingley did and he looked like Derek stingley yeah i don't know again that arkansas would have had offensive success if stingley had remained in that game last year especially yeah, if Ricks had remained in that game we talked so. about that length on the show last week. yeah exactly yeah, we- and, and to me this game kind of felt like validation of that that i don't know that they would yep. have um cardell flott was right behind maggie baskerville to me uh, because not only was his coverage really solid, which if Flock can get it going in the slot, Flock in the slot, yeah, I know. Uh, nice. Um, well, then you have a pretty damn good corner trio there. Like, like if he can make himself into a, a a legit contributor there, and he also showed a lot of playmaking ability this last game. He was really good in run support, and I came away impressed with that. So. Um, yeah. Final thoughts on the defense here. Uh, you mentioned the coverage. Well, the, I mean, because okay. we, we've talked about everything else we should just throw in. We're at about three games in a row now where I think the defensive line has just looked stout. You know, they're, they're not really getting beat on those, like, silly, you know, run plays anymore. They're setting the edge better. I, I mean, yeah, it's not like they're doing anything that's, like, blowing us away. There's no, like, one guy standing out. There's nothing 
crazy. There's not amazing, amazing sack numbers or anything, but they're just kind of controlling the line three weeks in a row. And this week it was against like one of the better lines in the country, if we're being honest. So yeah. I just think we have to give credit to them because it's kind of been a no name performance, but it's just been well. Really so stout. like I'll, I'll read you, I'll read you my notes, and it kind of reinforces everything you just said. Right? This is like the top of the brain notes that I take. Uh, when I'm watching the film, it says Neil Farrell got a nice push all night long. Um, almost had a huge play on the pitch with the other line, had a pass for him as well. Joseph Evans made a couple nice plays, really solid against the run. Sony Fanua had a nice play. Andre Anthony had a nice TFL. Uh, even Ray Thornton had a great moment. Uh, you mentioned setting the edge. I think that Ali Gay has improved in his run fit. So, yeah, down the line, um, they were really good against the run. Now, they didn't do anything in terms of pass rush. Uh, no. I think that A&M's line, one of the biggest differences that stood out between the two offenses watching this game when it was so stark is that LSU's offensive line was really, really poor at picking up what A&M was laying down when it was blitzing, and A&M had no problem blocking LSU when they rushed four, blocking LSU when they would twist, blocking LSU when they would try to blitz, like... Uh, th that's that's the shocking part, and that's why Brody, I think the coverage is apt to point out, is because like Mond yep. had clean pockets and all the time in the world all night and just couldn't make it happen because of ball. some nice coverage. Yeah, and he held the ball forever. But against the run... Well, but that's a coverage thing. Yeah. I, I know the stats don't support this, but and I know it's always dangerous to be like, but if you take out this run, then the numbers are this. But LSU did a good job. I think it's important to do that. Yeah. I think I, I hate that. I think you have to do that. Anyway, finish your point. Well, I, I, I think, support. okay, so I think in some games it does matter, right? Like if you take it out and the average drops to like two yards, then yes, it matters. But if you take it out and they're still averaging four, then no, right? I mean, then, then, then you still got your ass kicked. But like I, I didn't yeah. end up doing the math like I wanted to. But if you would take away those runs, like there's a reason why – I heard some people saying after the game, I mean, else was lucky that Jimbo kept throwing instead of running. They were having so much success on the ground. On a play-by-play -play basis, they were not, they were not having success you. on the ground at all. And that was thanks to uh, the D-line. So um, other notes that I have here, Jabril Cox, I thought it was good in coverage. Just kind of impressed there as well. Yep. Um, I did feel bad for Damone Clark, like one of the only yeah, plays he's I, in. I forgot to bring that up. He was literally in for what, like three plays and one of them? was that big 57-yard run. Yeah. And it was right at him. And he over-pursued. It, yeah. it was like everything we've talked about all year. Then I feel I felt for him. Um, uh, lesson for the young QBs out there. Only do the QB sneak reach over on the goal line. Where once the plane <laughs> breaks the ball, the play is dead. Because if you do not, like you will almost guarantee that you will fumble. Not, not that it matters in that situation because it's fourth down anyway, but like, yeah, that was, uh, I guess, no, it does matter. Yeah, exactly. No, just don't, don't reach it over the goal line. Um, so you go, I thought we would start in a positive place this week. Since Vince is a negative season. And because that wasn't as good, that was actually like a great defensive game. You're right. You're um, right. Now, though, like you said, Brody, as good as that defense was, the offense was kind of the complete inverse. I mean, I actually want to like amend my earlier statement because I made it sound like everything about the offense was bad. From a production standpoint, it was, but I, I really do have to like drive home. And I tweeted this Saturday night, and I got like crap for it, but I'm, I just had to make clear like everything that is happening wrong on Saturday, every part of it started with the offensive line struggling, and then it just filtered on and out from there. It wasn't just like like I, especially on my rewatch, I feel this way. Finley never had a clean pocket, maybe like three times yeah. in the whole game, honestly. Yeah. So it's so Finley had, to, and everyone was like, 
Then they're getting mad at the play calling for not taking shots. And it's like, they've tried, but he has pressure in his face in the second. So he has to just get it out really fast. It's like, they've tried these things. It's not working. And it's made all because of the offensive line. And Finley had to make bad throws and he looked worse because of it. Then eventually probably got rattled because of it. They try quarterback runs just to like, I assume the reasoning for that was because your line's not working. You want to do a QB run. So you have extra numbers in the run game, you know, an extra blocker yeah. in there. Even that wasn't working. So they immediately pulled Johnson again. Like, the O-line was the fundamental problem, and I'm not even confident I want to criticize the rest of it because everything else just looked bad because of that. And I'll, I'll let you dive into more specifics from there. So you're definitely right in terms of the offensive line being the root of all evil. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I certainly think that like trying to use this as any referendum as – how good these freshman quarterbacks will be is insane. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you have to allow room for growth. No freshman quarterbacks, no true freshman quarterbacks. We were thinking about this. When's the last time you saw a true freshman quarterback dominate college football? Like, like well, maybe like a Trevor Lawrence? Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. There have okay. been a few examples, but it's okay. But, well, no, that's the point. That's the exception, not the rule. Like, you can't just expect guys to come. Every, you knew Trevor Lawrence was going to be a complete monster. Not, not redshirt freshman, talking about true freshman. And so, seeing two 18 year olds struggle behind a, a, an offensive line that is struggling is uh, it's not a surprise at all. And right now, I don't think TJ Finley or Max Johnson is demonstrably better than the other. Um, I thought it was a quick hook on Finley, but then I figure out that they say today that that was the plan all along. And that actually, I, well, I, I wonder if I buy that or not. I, I, I kind of take it at face value just because he wasn't playing that poor when they did take him out. Um, but, but so the point is like, it's the, the only thing that this showed me is, and I do think that it would have been different if you had still had miles Brennan. I, I think that what has become clear yeah. here is you are seeing some play calling that is a bit handcuffed by your personnel limitations. You are having to operate out of a very narrow slice of that playbook. So I feel for the play callers in that sense, um, there are still some issues that I have. Though. I, I, I feel like too much of this. Oh, offense- yeah. Yeah. And I want to jump in. Yeah. I was just throwing out the the taking deep shots criticism being a little unfair. But yes, I still think there are problems with the play calling. Continue. Well, I, I just think kind of the offensive scheme in general just feels like they really just copy pasted last year's offense and then cut plays that maybe don't work with the freshman or they don't like with the freshman, but it's still essentially just last year's offense with the same tendencies. I thought that Elko had a really good read on them. He Tecmo bowled them like three or four times where he had the perfect slant called to what they wanted to do. Or like, like one of the only times they dropped eight into coverage was on one of those tunnel screens. Like he had a really good read on LSU's tendencies and Outside of that, I still don't think you're customizing it enough for your players. Where yeah. are the design plays for Eric Gilbert? Every week, oh, talks about need to get him the ball more. Every week we ask for it. I keep going back to the Auburn game. They manufactured so many touches for that 300-pound tight end. Why is LSU not doing the same with their best tight end to come out of high school ever? And, and, and then there are some specific things that, that frustrate me. Like, they okay, the the fourth and one, third and one, quick get-to-line zone read needs to stop with this team. 
success rate is not nearly high enough. You can, because like, look, last year, everybody knew LSU was doing that when they got to the line, but there were a couple elements that worked in their favor. Burrow was a threat to pull. More importantly, you just had a good offensive line, right? Like, you can run that behind Lloyd Cushenberry and Damian Lewis every play. It just doesn't work with this O-line. And they don't tend to get set that fast now, and everybody knows exactly where the ball is going. So I, I think like their insistence on continuing that strategy is a little frustrating. And it's also the reason why I highlighted it is because it's thinking of what I'm talking about, the copy-paste feeling nature of this offense right now. I would have thought that there would have been a little more innovation. And you've had these freshman quarterbacks for a while now, a little more customization over what they can do. Yeah, and it's like I, I always go back to I remember Kirby Smart was one person who pointed, like said it and several other coaches said it last year throughout that run it was like you know because every opposing coach basically asked the same thing about like wow what are you seeing from this LSU offense like what are they doing and you know as a defensive coach what are you noticing and, and he everyone just kind of kept saying like guys they really don't do anything that like special or new or like creative it's it's nothing like that it's all pretty simple it's one the personnel which I think this is more of a hindsight thing I don't think even I really appreciate the time like some of it was just simplicity through just unbelievable talent around you and, and a lot of it i actually you know i really believe this in the time and i believe it more now is it's not that the plays were that like brilliant it was that joe brady was just joe brady's one of the sharpest people i've ever met and joe brady is just really sharp at knowing they're doing this we're going here they're going there we're doing that it, it wasn't like the plays the scheme it was just knowing how to like always zig when they're zagging and always knowing how to attack each little thing that's the difference, in my opinion. So when you're saying they're copying and pasting, I think you're completely right. And that last year, they basically had one run play, right? They just ran zone. And it worked because they had a good O-line, an elite running back, and they were able to just beat them with simplicity in the passing game. It wasn't about designing things for one person. It was Joe Burrow, a brilliant processing quarterback, basically having plays that were designed for basically five receivers, and he always knew where the best place yeah. to go. And, and, and if there is the one was. part of the offense that was um... – pretty advanced or pretty modern. Uh, I do think the route combinations is probably where Brady was the most cutting edge, but now you're seeing these same combinations all over the place this year. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, that's almost what's one of Peyton's greatest strength too. So it's a good point. Yeah. So I, I think now you're at a point where even with Brennan, by the way, like let's, let's just reiterate again, this offense was really good for the three weeks with miles Brennan. And what you're yeah. seeing is this, it's a joke we used to make last year about how like, Hey, they got a decent amount of third and 14s last year. It happened, but it was just this weird, like just confidence and cohesion that like any 20 yard pass, you felt like it was going to be in the right spot. Any route, you feel like it's going to go to the right guy and you can find yourself taking that for granted. And even with Brennan, there's just a confidence. There's just a knowing what you're doing. When you throw a ball, it's going to go to the right area. When you're, going to make the right read even if the team wasn't exceptional those first three weeks it's just you just know what you're doing you move the ball and now you have a true freshman quarterback a pretty raw one may i add you don't have the o-line you, your receivers aside from marshall are are good but not like exceptional would you i think you'd agree and you just kind of have a thing right now where you don't even have that baseline like just competence so you can't run this overly like i trust my guy system that's that's kind of my take yeah yeah and and, and they have struggled to adjust within that frame uh but then again like you said or i mean then again like like kind of said at the start of it it's I'm not, I'm not saying it's easy when you have a freshman quarterback and a struggling no line like it is really hard to find success within there and really only like the best of the best can uh yeah. and, and even then sometimes yeah, not they will struggle to that team. Yeah. 
Uh, I was. But. So, okay, so that, that that's a little bit from a scheme standpoint. And when we kind of talked about the quarterbacks. Like I said, I just – I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with them for how they're playing and how young they are. Um, yeah. I still uh, – let's talk about the offensive line. Let's, uh, let's do it. Yeah. Do okay, want- so I, I want to start by asking you just a question. Okay. Because- you know, for I think everyone listening knows this, but it's just like always worth pointing out. T. Bob was a starting center at LSU, and you know he's a very expert, good person to talk to you about. This. I'm incredibly so, intelligent, and I know everything about all charming, witty, play. all those things. Yeah, yeah. and I I want to ask is when you look at that film, how much of it was the scheme and just like decisions that were were worse, or how much it was the players just making blatant mistakes. Uh, I mean, it's interesting because, it, okay, so it, uh, it, it is, it, sometimes it's tough to ascertain the difference between the two when yeah. I don't know their specific rules. Um, I was a bit surprised that it didn't seem like they had prepared at all for what they were seeing, or, or like, they just didn't look ready for what A&M was bringing. And it seemed like consistently... Uh, Elko was baiting them to slide one direction. And as soon as they would, I don't know if they were reading this or not, or if he was just calling him right because he had a tell where he kind of knew how to influence him that way because of LSU scheme. But like throughout the night, he was creating, I say he, the the Texas A&M defense was creating, uh, they they were making LSU waste resources. The amount of time that you saw two guys blocking one, even three guys blocking one, while there would be a free runner from somewhere else was really inexcusable. And like a lot of times when they walk six up on the line, it doesn't have to be overcomplicated. Uh, You you call kind of, you can almost call like a, like I like a like we whatever I, I there's every team's gonna have different calls for it. We almost just do like a man and sort sort of deal, st- right? Mm-hmm. So you're like, man, so okay, everybody work inside out, and then like let's say I step down and my guy drops out, then I know I'm immediately looking back outside, and yeah. so like there are like they're, they're 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 not they're not easy, but there are techniques and schemes to deal with what Elko's doing. I mean, it's what Dave Aranda did. You walk a ton of guys up, you only bring four. But you bring them from all kind of different angles and all kind of different combinations. You just have to be ready to sort that out as an O line, and you'll be fine. It's not easy, but it can be done. But LSU didn't look like they just didn't look prepared at all for what A and M was doing. I mean, they were consistently not every now and then they were consistently looking left and then catching a hook from the right. And so that was pretty surprising to me. And at times, it was on players in that like. Sometimes, like a couple times, Jason Hines did step down. His guy drops out, and then he looked outside, but he was way too slow in doing so, and he ends yeah. up getting beat on the edge. And then there were times that the tack the tackles really struggled with wide rushers. If I was a team, I, I would I would come and attack LSU in that exact same direction. So it, it definitely was a mix. I think I mean it was a mix of everything: misidentified protections, basic protection errors. Um, bad technique at times, and unfortunately, that was just pass protection. The run game <laughs> was all the yeah. same things, uh, just applied to the run. Like the combo blocks were sloppy. Yeah. Guys aren't really getting to the second level. Linebackers are running free, and then like sometimes like Liam Shanahan, who look Liam, he's he is doing everything he can, and he's scrapping and fighting. But like when he gets to the second level, he's not delivering a pop. 
he's kind of reaching out and grabbing, or he's kind of like catching. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of push there. There's not a lot of push on the entire LSU offensive line right now. So it was uh, there has been in some games this season, but certainly yeah. not this South game. Carolina. Certainly not this game. Yeah, and first off, I almost the only downside of, of how we did this is that you basically nailed everything I wanted to say, but you're a better person to hear from anyway, so it works out. But yeah, what, what blew my mind on the watch was, in, I'll start with the pass protection too, was, and you, you mentioned this, of course, but it was the way that there were times, I understand some of the confusion on a few of them. Like, I'm not blaming you for struggling with them, you know, showing six, rushing four. But like, Jason Hines was obviously the most often culprit, but, you know, he would he would go left to help on the inside. And then when that guy didn't rush, he just like kept looking left. Yes, yes, and that's and that's what I. There's don't one understand. in particular that was only a four man rush, and a guy got through untouched. And you're like, and it was like, yeah, it was like it's like it's like he didn't even know that you're supposed to look the other way when no one was there. And it's like it's like his thought process was kind of like, well, sweet, no one came. Yeah, and it, and it was a lot like that. And and then when you go to the run blocking, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of you said the double teams. You're absolutely right. It was like. They would have the double team. They did their job. And Liam Shanahan was the main culprit there. Where, but they And Chase and Hines, too, on a few. They would just, like, turn their back so then their eyes weren't looking downfield anymore. It was like they were just making sure they owned that double team. But, like, obviously your job is to that, that guy on the outside to move up field and get the second guy. And they just kind of, like, took the W on the double team and then let a safety or linebacker go in untouched. So those were the main things. And that's where some of these, I'm like, I know a lot of these are, like, at OG actually was pre I'm, I'm have a story up tomorrow morning it was pretty honest about some of the errors about how like sometimes you know the quarterback would basically tell them to slide the wrong way yeah and that, there was at least one sack or pressure that came off that that was pretty obvious they just literally went the wrong way and there were moments like that so i really do think it was just like mistakes from the staff and everything but a lot of them just felt like guys just not knowing how to do like basic things and that's what really boggled my mind and we're at six seven games now and we've been saying it since week one, but unfortunately, Chase and Hines has just had a really tough, tough year from start to finish. He's yeah. a guy played as a true freshman, as an 18 year old, and looked good. Like he looked like a good player. And now, two years later, just doesn't have it. And, it's, and you reach a point where you just don't know if they do. And, and to be clear, I don't know who else you put in. I don't really think they have much depth. No, there, you're so not an option. Thinking. You have your best five out there. I feel confident you, about that. I would agree with that. So I'm not, I don't want to like, I'm actually, neither of us are people who like to torch one person, but I think Jason Hines has been a real problem. And Liam Shanahan, somebody who I actually think through four games, I would have said was the second best O-lineman. I really did feel that way. I think it was Ingram than him. Like for a while, he just looked like he was doing his job and always knew where he's going. And I think the last few games, like you said, you're seeing the effect of he's just not physically as good as some of these guys. And that's not his fault, but it's just the truth. And Sorry, continue. Yes. No, you're good, buddy. Uh, and yeah, I just think you're seeing it, but it's just like, and then I think in turn, it's not just that he's physically getting beat, but I think you're probably also seeing him get a little overwhelmed on some of these and the speed and whatnot. Yeah. And that's where you're seeing some of those mistakes. Yeah, no doubt. And and unfortunately, this last game was some was one where, honestly, we're not seeing anybody out because nobody looked good. Uh, both Wire and Rosenthal struggled that left tackle at times. Um, Ed Ingram probably had his worst game of the season. He did. Uh, so really, it's just unfortunately. The, and, and look, when you have freshman quarterbacks, offensive line's going to go the way of the quarterback. But I mean, again, none of it's too surprising in terms of we said that LSU was going to really struggle to get it to third and manageable, and you'd be consistently in third of long, and that was not going to go well. And lo and behold, that is um, – Exactly what happened. The only thing that surprised me, Brody, I, I still the 
the pass pro being as consistently as confused, I don't get because, I mean, do you agree when you watch that defense, those are the same type of blitzes that they would have been seeing um, from Dave Aranda like for years now? Yes. Absolutely. No, I, I, I mean, that's, there was a few plays where you're absolutely right. I think Elko did call a great game. I think you give him credit on some of those, but I don't think that many of them were like that, you know, like shocking or like, I mean, I always will forever point out the 2018 Florida game is like the worst O-line performance I've ever watched. And like, that was the one where Burrow just like, everyone likes, everyone likes to talk about how Burrow's Bengals O-line is like the, he, the 2018 LSU O-line was just as bad if we're being honest. <laughs> and that was the game where like, it was very similar to this game where it was just everybody being confused. And like one guy goes one way and just leaves two guys open through a gap, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and, but anyway, yeah. But it wasn't even that Florida game. It was like Todd Grantham was just flat out like scheming the heck out of it and getting them confused. This game, there were some where he deserves credit, but a lot of them were just really like obvious things that they just couldn't quite get right. Yeah, I do wonder. I wonder if LSU has some tells that they knew kind of what to show them to get them to slide the wrong way. I don't know. That's well, know. they are running a pretty simple offense right now, so I'm, I, that is pretty believable. You know, yeah. it's pretty believable that they're at a point where, like, hey, if they show this, we know exactly what they're running. So I think that's interesting. Yeah, we, we shall see. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. All right, so um, that's kind of the A&M game. I mean, offensively, it, okay, uh, sure, what, what did you think about the touchdown that they took back? <laughs> I'm actually shocked we went this long without you bringing that up. Um, I think it was a touchdown if I was making the call, and I think it was incredibly close to the point where I'm su- – because correct me if I'm wrong, they called it a touchdown on the field, right? Yeah, that's the shocking okay, part. I just didn't yeah. think there was enough that to It is surprising it. they overturned it, yes, but I also totally understand why you would think it wasn't a touchdown. Like I, w- I think anyone who acts like it is a sure thing one way or the other is probably kidding themselves. I think it was – Pretty close, and he was losing it, but I think it was a touchdown. I feel confident that it was a sure thing, that there was not enough evidence to say that it was incontrovertible to turn it over. That's fair. I think that end zone view, you – it just looked like his left hand comes off the ball, but it stays still on his right hand. I don't know. Whatever. I I was just shocked. They Like, it was to the point where during the commercial – you know, I'm just like, we're already talking about like, oh, it's 10 7, but you know, you're just assuming they're going to get back and be like, confirmed because there's not enough there, or not confirmed uh, stands because there's not enough there and they came out and overturned it. The wild part is, did have you watched the replay of the interception? I know. I was waiting for I'm this. I'm not, no, yeah. I'm saying I, I don't even That like, was not an interception. I don't even care, right. but that like. That was directly caught on the ground. But yeah. like that point, like I'm not, I'm not like I even, so I tweeted out a screenshot somebody sent me when I was drunk and just like talking shit on Twitter. And then later that night I came back and I was like, hey, I'm less drunk now. That, I've been looking at this picture. I think that, that that's his knee. But then I watched the Sunday night replay and no, it's like, it's very clear. The ball, the ball hits the ground and then they didn't review it. 
and you're in the red zones. That was just uh, look. Sometimes you get bad breaks, man, and that was a really odd bad one-two punch for LSU. That was a bad sequence, especially because think about it, that was. So you had a three-play sequence where you forced a fumble and forced short from A&M. You threw a 50-yard pass, and you threw a 30-yard touchdown. Yeah. Then that was, gets changed was, into an interception. It just There was a tangible back. change in the game, and then they lost it. Yeah, yeah so that 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 sucked. Um, and then on top of that, it would have been 10-7 first off of that. Holds. Yeah. And, or even 10-3 if you accept it wasn't a touchdown, you get a field goal there, as you should have. And then you next drive, have you know, it wasn't a good drive, but penalties got you back in, in the red zone. And you miss a very make a very short field goal on a fluke situation. Yeah. That game should have been either 10-10 or 10-6. Depends how you want to look at it either way. And that is kind of the – I think it was like the second that field goal got missed, yes, of course it was a 10-point game. You Of course you're still in it. But at that point you're like, I kind of felt the energy suck out. And it was like, all right, you're probably not winning this game. I think yeah, no, exactly. So you raise a really good point, right? Because when you're a double-digit dog and you're trying to win a game – you just can't lose that much value, right? I mean, I think about the initial on the first drive, there's a fourth and one when you're in field goal range. And I agree with going for it, but when you don't get it, you lose points. Um, there was the overturned touchdown, the missed easy field goal you mentioned. I, I would count the two failed offensive drives at the end of the first half, which was a really bad sequence that gave AM three late drives, which eventually cost you three more. I mean, that's a value there. So like you're talking about anywhere from like, 10 to 13 points that you arguably left in the field. And when you're not nearly as good as the other team, you're never going to win that game. So just yeah. too many big mistakes and bad breaks for LSU to come away with it. Absolutely. So do you want to, I, I, I assume we're segueing to the Alabama game and I, yeah, it's kind of funny that we're kind of about to yada, yada, the LSU, the Alabama LSU game, which is only funny because last year we basically did like a two-part series just breaking down this game and like the most depth ever. We were like yelling pot of the year. It was like a huge event for us. We were on our A game, maybe the best pod we've ever done. And this year we are literally yada yachting it to the last like five minutes of the show because I think it is just understood that <laughs> I'm, I'm not exaggerating here. I don't even see a physically possible avenue for LSU to win this game. And I'm not somebody who talks like that. I'm not. <laughs> I am the context guy. And I don't even see a possibility they even make this game particularly close. Uh, no, I mean, I didn't see it against A&M. I was actually shocked <laughs> I, at that. I, could have, I, 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 thought, I thought Alabama was, I mean, was going to route, but I at least could have seen scenarios where like, hey, A&M is kind of a team that you know, lays eggs a lot. You know, LSU's defense did make a step forward, but no, this it's this is just no. Awful. If this was okay, so if this was like Avengers, there or this is a bit like Avengers, where if we okay. had Doctor Strange here to explore the infinite <laughs> multiverse, like there might be one, maybe two, where LSU somehow pulls off a win here. Out, out, of, out of all of them, out of the billions of possibilities, yeah, there's, 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 there's a couple out there. But unfortunately, uh, our chances of inhabiting said reality, Brody, are not very good. So I'm expecting, I don't know, a 50-point beatdown on Saturday. Yeah. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, no, I think it's fair. The spread's 28 and a half right now. And I think it's one of those ones where, like, everybody concedes. That's probably a pretty accurate line, if anything, pretty low. But then I actually think, like, I don't even LSU so low on numbers that I actually don't even think Alabama is going to run this up because it's like, I mean, the only thing is they do have, and this is real. The, they have a, 
tangible reason for being motivated to really curb stomp LSU. When you look at the video from the locker room, the roll tied, what fuck you talking about beating their ass and recruit, yeah. beating their ass in the field. The guys going over the recruit section. It's, uh, I, the, like the, the, the biggest hope when you play Alabama is that you can catch an unmotivated Alabama. And that will never happen against LSU. It'll never anyway. happen against LSU. And then you add even Let alone more, now. <laughs> yeah, more spice on top. So it's and they think that like Alabama at least believes that LSU like ducked them two weeks ago, you know, and like <laughs> so now you have that factor on it. Yeah. Gee, um, LSU and Michigan both need to get on the COVID train and get their games kept. That's the only way that Michigan keep Ohio State out of the playoff. Absolutely. If they have a COVID um, outbreak. Just for context. You know, I'm looking at, you know, Bill Connolly's, you know, win probability things and LSU, they have a 93% chance of beating LSU, which is also the same as Alabama, Arkansas. So it looks like Dr. Strange Connolly says there are seven multiverses out of 100 or seven realities out of 100, Brody. That's a way bigger chance than I thought. Big if true. But yeah, I mean, just to like give some discussion about what this Alabama team is, I mean, if you're just talking off like raw numbers, this this Alabama offense is actually arguably better than LSU's offense last year. And by the way, I don't actually think that they have not faced the defense LSU's did, and that's what made the LSU season so amazing. Is they played like seven top ten teams, played all the best defenses, yada yada. But still, like they're number one in success rate and number like three in explosiveness. You know, like they are just borderline perfection at a level that's mind blowing. Najee Harris is. I don't know, my personal opinion, the best running back in the NFL, I mean, in college football, and he's like the third most talked about guy in this team. Obviously, we know Mac Jones's numbers, 23-3 ratio, 2,700 yards. The receiving core is amazing, even without Jalen Waddell. And then you add in, and Ed Ogeron said this himself, he's like, this is going to be the best offensive line that's come to Tiger Stadium in quite some time. Like, it's a very, very good offensive line. Yeah, oh, I'm pretty by sure the way, their uh, offensive line, uh, their average age, if you were to average them all out, Comes out to about 3.75 years in college. So you're essentially dealing with a senior offensive line. It's true. And, and and also, like, I know the defense, like, from the aggregate number kind of look outlook doesn't look that amazing to a lot of people. But it's still number nine in, like, the opponent-adjusted SP+. plus. I mean, it's pretty good unit. They don't have an elite pass rush this year. It's actually been kind of down. But, I mean, it's... This is a borderline perfect football team, at least in the context of what 2020 is and whatnot. And, and but I will say this, and I, I've been thinking about this a little bit this week. It's just like, because I'm expecting this to be, yeah, I'm with you. I think this could be like a 52-7 situation. I think this could be just an all-timer. But I still don't think it will be, wor- even though it will be way worse in a score perspective, this will not be as bad as 2018. And he, because 2018 LSU was number four in the country and like believed they were even with Bama. Yeah. Like they believed this was going to be their, like, we're there, we're jumping, we're going to make the title game thing. And then you lose 29 nothing in a just annihilation that I've, have never seen before from like a top four team, really. And, and this will be different because LSU, we know this is a lost season. We know this is a disaster. But uh, anyway, so that's So I have a theory as to how LSU will win this game. Um, is on, there buddy. any, is there a material out there? I feel like there is that like the harder you hit it, the more firm it becomes. Okay. I mean, something almost like water. I, I feel like, I don't know if I'm just getting this from comic books, but is there some sort of like Kevlar or something maybe where it's like, it's, it, it's, it's like a little physically reactive, right? Where the harder you hit it, the kind of harder it gets. Well, LSU defense 
this was the best offense they had faced yet this year, and they played their best game, right? Against the worst offenses, they played their worst game. Maybe they just operate like that material where – Depending on how hard you hit it, that's how hard they get. So secretly, this LSU defense, if you just continue on the trajectory, how they held A&M, Bama's going to be like 0 of 15 on third down, 200 total yards. Yeah, LSU defense is going to dominate and carry LSU to a win. You know what? I like. By the way, I'm really bummed because I know there is a superhero that like literally absorbs energy that you give it and then like gives it back out. So that's really bumming me out. No, but that's not. Think. That's not exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, that is it, but it's not it. Like, I guess I know what you're talking about, like but I, it's also bugging me because there is a dead-on example of a superhero, and I can't think of it. And it's driving me crazy. Um, yes, uh, I have this really funny um, thing in my head right now that I've been thinking of like half this podcast. It's making me laugh, and it's probably gonna sound stupid, but I have this image of like. Right before game, it's this big surprise. Miles Brennan like jogs out into the field, and everybody's like, "Oh my god, he's playing!" And it's like it's going to be this like Willis Reed moment. Everybody's like, "Oh my god, Miles Brennan's going to like come play hurt and like lead them to beat Alabama." And then the first play, throw a pick six. That I, I'm laughing to myself, imagining this like incredible scenario. No, I so. just I just think you do all that build up, and you you like maybe do like a tight shot on his eyes, and he's like glaring at the opponent. And then maybe even do like a tight shot and save it. And then it's just a smash cut to him just getting demolished. Just <laughs> exactly. Like exactly it. exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it didn't work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's not going to be good. But hey, uh, you know what? Uh, there were elements of the AM game that I was very wrong on, mainly the defense. And by the way, I, I, I brushed it off your point. But actually, like, to some small extent, I do buy your whole thing. Cause I actually, like, there is a part of me that believes that, that LSU, like, will play like it's why the 28 actually works for me a little bit because i think like they will play up to the level just a tiny bit like you know they won't look as bad as they and they're just playing play. better so like i'm yeah. still thinking of them like the earlier defense and they're not super from off there and Dante, i mean whatever alabama's gonna blow them out what are we even talking about all right we're gonna have terrace marshall this we, is the hold that podcast podcast remember it's cyber monday when we're recording so until this friday if you go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast, you get a dollar a month sign up deal for a year, y'all. The Athletic's incredible. Check out Brody's writing covering LSU. Follow him on Twitter at Brody A. Miller. Uh, but yeah, super, super worth it. Theathletic.com slash hold that podcast. Buy your meats at A Bear Specialty Meats. All right. Um, Brody, anything to add before we go out? Um, you know, um, RIP Michael Penix. Um, you know, out so for he's the year. Done for the uh, year. Oh. I just can't enjoy good things, and it is kind of, you know, just want to throw that out there because also so Joe sorry. Burrow as a Bengals fan so goes out the week earlier. Just a really fun, really fun week for my fandom. I'm sorry. Nice win, but yeah, yeah. So the backup is? Backup is a former four-star Elite 11 quarterback, actually. Okay. Who like went, okay. I mean, I don't think I – I, I have no expectation for him to be anything special. I think he's just going to be a perfectly fine game manager. But, yeah, Jack Tuttle, he went to Utah. It's like the number – like five or six quarterback in the country. Just the look, uh, like Schrodinger's quarterback. You don't know what he'll be until he gets a full game. So just choose Wait. to believe that you're getting Kyle Trask. You ready for me to throw something kind of a funny hypothetical at you? Yeah. We, I'm sure you've seen online. There's like the whole, all these scenarios that basically like Ohio state, if they have one more game, you know, po- postponed and all that, like I, you might legitimately play the, the big 10 championship game. Yeah. by default. So, which means it, it could be, IU Northwestern and he and if no Penix that means both quarterbacks in the Big Ten championship are guys who lost 
the quarterback job to Michael Penix because Northwestern's <laughs> quarterback is Peyton Ramsey. <laughs> and that's a shout out to the IU quarterback development. Oh my God. Oh man. Look at him, dude. Yeah. Hoosiers killing it, baby. All right. Well, um, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy holidays. I'm very happy to holiday season. There's a cold snap in the air, and I'm actually about to go get a Christmas tree. So I hope that everybody nice. has a wonderful day, and uh, we will catch you next week. We're going to be celebrating a huge LSU win over Alabama on the Hold That Podcast podcast. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.